Hey there, Ralph Garman here. Thanks so much for checking out this free edition of The Ralph Report. If you like what you hear, do me a favor. Subscribe to The Ralph Report so we can put some fun in your ears five days a week. And you can listen for as little as $3 a month. So subscribe today so you don't miss out on any of the fun. Go to patreon.com slash The Ralph Report and sign up. Welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Well, hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to The Ralph Report. Brand new show for you on this Tuesday, February 4th. So happy to have you joining us today. I am your old podcast pal, Ralph Garman. And sitting here in the Batcave with me is the vice host himself. Looks like he's trimmed his beard a little bit. He cut I did. it down. I trimmed it's it up. Looking very Thanks. GQ. Thanks. He could be on the cover of a men's magazine. Really? Yes. Oh. If that men's magazine was about prison. He is the vice what? host, Mr. Eddie Pence. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I got a haircut. I can tell. Yeah, so I had to trim all, the beard to match the haircut. All kinds of stylish in your leather jacket. It's not leather at all. No, it's it's like, it's like fake you know, leather. I can't like, afford real leather. Oh, no, you look you're ready to rumble. Thanks. Yeah. What, what do you got? What do you got coming up? That you have to nothing. Look so good I just for? I just want to look good for you. All right. Fair enough. So glad to see the magic is still in our relationship. You're still making an effort. I still to, care to make like, look good for me. <laughs> I, on the other hand, am in sweats and a baseball cap. <laughs> That's what happens when you're a stay-at-home podcaster. You know, you stop worrying about it. I wish I was. No one outside the world sees you. That's so you true. Don't, you don't worry about your appearance that much. Have you anymore. been outside today? Uh, not yet. Okay. It, it's in my future, All right. I think. Get out. I got a couple things I need to get framed for the Batcave, so I'm going to have to oh, actually take them to a framing place. <laughs> got to interact with people. I do. Ugh. The worst. <laughs> uh, not true. I love interacting with people, which is a lovely segue that gets me right into the fact that the live Ralph report is happening on February 21st. 8 p.m. at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank, California. And now I can officially announce that tickets are on sale. Yep. They went on sale yesterday. You may have gotten a little message from me uh, via Patreon, but I also put it up on Twitter as well. So tickets are on sale. Today's the 4th. We go on the 21st. So you got 17 days to buy your tickets. I wouldn't wait because uh, these things tend to sell out. Yeah, I saw on Twitter yesterday, tons of people were already buying them. Yeah, people, it, so. people are already interested. Going quick. So uh, get your tickets and check us out at flapperscomedy.com. That's where you can go, flapperscomedy.com. I, I, I'm, I love the folks at Flappers. I'm happy to be working yes. with them. I always thought that name was it's a weird little, name. Weird name for weird a comedy name. cub. Yeah, uh, cub. cub, comedy club, or cub, uh, or little bear. Don't let this Either be way. a show like yesterday. I'm not even drunk. <laughs> That's a little bear's name. <laughs> Flappers makes me think of. Either the twenties, right? Yeah, the girls. But that's what they do. Is that what it is? Is it's, that the thing? They have like they're styled, like their whole theme is the flappers. From is that the, the motif? Yes, like it's the, the twenties speakeasy kind yes, of thing? That's okay. the motif, which is still weird for a comedy yeah, club. Yeah, I don't I don't remember the twenties being particularly funny. Roaring time for a stand up comedy? No. no. Jazz. Jazz. Bathtub gin. Yeah, that kind of the stuff. The birth of organized crime. Right, but not so much for comedy. <laughs> yeah. But look, who am I to judge? Flapperscomedy.com <laughs> is the website. You go on there, you click on their calendar. And then you go to February 21, and there we are. Yeah. Larger than life. We'll Get be there. your tickets. We'll be there. Me, Eddie Pence, Steve Ashton will be flying in from across the ocean just to dress up in a wacky costume and make you laugh. 
and Carrie will also be on hand. <laughs> and we're going to feed Eddie mystery oh, foods. I can't wait. You're not going to want to miss that. Can't wait. All right. Let's get to today's show. It is jam-packed. It's a good one. Because on the counter, you want to know why? Not only is it Tuesday, meaning we take a look at one of your favorite TV theme songs from all time, but also we got all the entertainment news. We've got your voicemails with the Ralph Report hotline and very special interview today with a good friend of mine very funny actress and comedian named lisa arch who you may know from mad tv she was on mad tv for a season she also hosted a show with the uh, very funny and talented paul gilmartin it was a show on tbs called dinner in a movie oh that was great that? i love that they would show a movie yeah and they would do wraparounds where they would interact together, yeah. but also teach you how to cook a meal yeah. that was somehow connected to the film. No, that was a great little thing. She was the host of that show. And now this season, she is a regular on Curb Your Enthusiasm. If you're a fan of the Larry David show on <laughs> HBO, like Eddie and I are. That's so good. You're going to love this conversation I have with Lisa. We talk about working with Larry. She plays Richard Kind's wife on the show. And he is another comic genius, in my opinion. We talk about how the process is, how do they make the show. You know, it's all improvised. Yeah. And so we talk about the the uh, the audition process all the way through to how she works on the set and uh, what Larry's like in real life. So it's a, an interesting conversation. That'll be interesting, yeah. If you're a fan of that show, you're going to want to stick around. But first and foremost, we're going to get to you lovely people. It is the Ralph Report Hotline. That's how you can reach out to us. If you want to leave a voicemail message, it's open for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week at your disposal. You leave your voicemail message, and then I listen to them, and I play some of them here at the top of the show. You just got to dial up the phone number. It's 1-833-HI-RALF. <laughs> you dial that up, you leave your message, and then you might end up in a segment called Garmy on the Line. The telephone is ringing. The Garmy's on the line. Ralph's going to play your calls now. Yesterday was the day the music died. <laughs> Sorry. Not just because Eddie Pence was singing, <laughs> but because it was the anniversary of the death of Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and Big Bopper in that airplane that mm -hmm. went down. And so in tribute, Eddie Pence sang a little American Pie. I did. The song that is based on those events. <laughs> And uh, the reaction was magical. Oh, sure. I keep telling him he's wasting his talents, hey. wasting his time and energy trying to make people laugh. He should make people feel something with his music. It's not my first love. That's the problem. I Well, look, sometimes you got to go in the direction life That's true. lays out for you. You can't always do what you want to do. <laughs> uh, this gentleman called in with some advice for the vice host. Hey, Ralph. I just uh, was thinking I've got two words for Eddie. Mm -hmm. Eddie, Eddie. Eddie. That's the three words. Two words. All right. Okay. Singing comedian. Right. You're welcome. LMB. That's what you do. You combine I the should. two. Musical comedy. You take your first love, which is comedy, right. and then your obvious uh, talent yes. pool, which is in the world of musical stylings, and you combine those You should two. be one of those musical comedians. You should stand up there with a, a banjo guitar, or a guitar, banjo or yeah, an yeah. accordion You're right. or something and work the, the singing into the comedy. I could be the next Weird Al. Right? Right. Or the next Gary Muldeer. <laughs> 
Do you remember Gary? No, who was that? He was a guy who used to get up with an acoustic guitar and do really bad jokes with acoustic no, guitar. No, I don't yeah. remember him. Look him up on YouTube, I will kids. have to. Mule deer. You'll thank me for it. Look, Adam Sandler does it, right? He made a career out of it. Look, I'm saying this is a new You're direction right, maybe. for you. There's not a lot of them out there. It might be what my career needs. We were bemoaning the fact that there aren't many uh, comedy duos right. out there anymore. How many... Musical comedy acts, do you see? Because they're beloved musical oh, comedians. People love that. I mean, anytime you see a comic get on stage with a guitar, funny automatically, yeah, instantly. That prop comics, just <laughs> these are the kind of comics that people <laughs> just love, love forever. They come out in droves for. That's right. So, <laughs> speaking of Eddie Pence, more questions for Eddie. This one comes from a regular contributor Fonzie. He called in, and I'd forgotten all about this, and I'm so glad that Fonzie brought this up. A month has already gone by in the new year, and I have yet to ask this question. Hey, Ralph, this is Fonzie, four-star general. Hey, uh, I'm curious, since uh, Eddie Pence uh, says he buys Christmas gifts throughout the year, Right. I'd like to know what the hell he's bought for January already. And maybe, you know, we could probably get more information on this, but maybe make us some sort of a... Seg segment called Eddie Pence makes no sense. I just follow up on shit that he says that make no sense whatsoever. Anyways, uh, do me a favor and ask Eddie what he's bought his son for the month of January. Gotcha. Maybe February. Gotcha. I'd like to know. All right. What is good now that he will like you know <laughs> fucking year from now? Anyways, thank you. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Thank you, Fonzie. If you're new to the show, mm -hmm. we it's true. We only bring this up around the holidays. But Eddie Pence is super annoying. It makes sense. How does it not make sense what I do? I didn't say it doesn't make sense, but it's super annoying. It's super annoying, yeah. Because when real people, when regular folks are out there scrambling at the holiday season trying to buy gifts for their loved ones, especially children, right. Eddie Pence is one of those smug guys who leans back and goes, Oh, my shopping's done because right. I, I buy Christmas presents all year long. I buy two a month, so that at the end of the Look, year, I don't have to deal with any of that hassle that you Look, people are dealing with. I don't do it because I don't like dealing with that. It's not the hassle of the shopping. It's like because I'm a comedian and I'm not used to a steady income. Mm -hmm. I have to learn until to, the music kicks until in. the music kicks in. Then right. I then all you know I'll start shopping in December. Right, but I have to learn how to deal with a limited and a finite resource of money. So you have gift budgets allocated each month. So of, of yeah, the year. so I I can't afford for December to roll around me spend a bunch of money and then January and I get like a thousand dollar credit card bill. I can't afford to do that. So if I gotcha. budget it out every month. 50 bucks here, 20 bucks there, then I can manage it. I'm not saying it doesn't make perfect sense. It's a money and managing probably tool. probably is the best way in terms of managing time and money. Right. I'm just saying it really <laughs> bugs me. I'm sorry. I do one intelligent thing in my life and everyone gives me shit. But me. more importantly, uh, Fonzie wants to know, what was your, your purchase for January? What did you get on I, the big list? I got him a Nintendo. So far, this just, oh, just January. I haven't done February shopping yet. Well, no. Just January. It's, just, it's too just, early. Just turned. We're just, we just got right. into February. Right. Yeah. Give me a minute. Um, I got a Nintendo Switch game. Wow. A little, uh, it's Ghostbusters. It just came out for the Nintendo Switch. And I bought that. And it's just, it's going to be tucked away until December. How awesome is that? Yeah. So. That's the first thing I've got. That's Look, stop being so defensive. One day, I, I've been one, telling one you it's done. a good idea. I'm I just, just feel like everybody's giving me crap for it. It bugs. It it's does bug. smart, but it bugs. But money-wise, I have to do it. If I had like a good, high-paying comedy musical right, career. I'm telling you, you're right and I'm wrong. Take the win. I'm taking it. Doesn't happen very often. Eddie! Eddie! Right!
I got to budget my money, man. You're it's the best way to do it right. across the board. How why don't you allow uh, me to give you credit for I this? I don't know cuz I'm just used to defending myself. I suppose. Um all right, there you go, well, Fonzie. There you go, There's everybody. I'll update you for February. Switch. There you go. Uh, David called in, and I'm so glad he did and brought this up because, you know, when we do the show day after day, now year after year, as we're into our third year of the Ralph Report, which is still a blessing and amazing, and yes. thank you. I forget that we're we're always getting new listeners coming on board, new uh, members of the Garmy who subscribe to the show who may not be familiar with the history to some of the recurring segments that happen here on the show. So from time to time, I have to do what we used to call in the radio business, a reset, where you kind of have to kind of catch people up and fill yep. them in on what exactly everybody's laughing about. And yesterday was one of those cases, because we were talking about the Super Bowl, and we we're talking about the halftime show featuring Shakira mm -hmm. and the lovely Jennifer Lopez, yes. a.k.a. J-Lo, to her many friends and yeah. fans. And so David wants to know what's up. Hey, Ralph. Hey, Eddie. Uh, this is David from New Jersey, two-star general. I had a question. Yeah. Um, every time you make a J-Lo joke, you always say there's always room for J-Lo. Right. I, <laughs> I, and you guys are laughing. Yes. I, I've been a two-star general for, you know, since I think October, November. Okay. Um, not very long, so I, I don't understand the origin of the joke, and you guys are always cracking up. So right. if you can explain it, explain it to the new uh, Garmin generals that would be fantastic all yes. right thank you guys lmb thank you david for calling in by the way did you see the guy yesterday on I social media who was uh, threatening to unsubscribe he because the, i keep doing the j-lo yeah, joke he did the eye roll gif yeah gif right. and then yeah so uh, i i sent him back a uh, a meme from tombstone bye <laughs> well bye, bye. Which is Powers Booth. Who the just hell gets mad at a J-Lo joke? Saying goodbye to the uh, Earp brothers. That's so weird. All right, we're leaving town. Well, bye. <laughs> it's just um, weird that yeah, people we, get upset about the weirdest shit. It was very strange. Uh, David, excellent question. Here's, here's the long history of the J-Lo joke. It turns out, and you're probably too young to remember, David, because but back in the day, the advertising campaign for the dessert treat known as Jell-O was there's always room for jello yes their their selling point was no matter how much of a glutton you were <laughs> no matter how much food you crammed in your gaping maw at dinner <laughs> there was no way you could possibly turn down jello for dessert because in their minds there was always room there yep. was a little extra bit of room <laughs> in your stomach where you could fit some jello right that was the premise that's a very American concept. Absolutely. I'm stuffed. I can't eat anymore. I'm so full. No, just have a little bit more food, America. <laughs> have some Jell-O. So some. their advertising campaign was, there's always room for Jell-O. Here's an old-timey commercial featuring that slogan. Here comes Jell-O. There's always room for Jell-O. Jell-O gelatin is the lighter one that tastes more than ever like luscious fresh fruit. No matter how you serve it, there's always room for Jell-O. There's always room for Jell-O, and it tastes, it tastes like luscious fresh fruit. Mm. Sure it does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that became a, a catchphrase in America. There's always room for Jell-O. And you would see it pop up in all kinds of different um, pop culture scenarios yeah. as well. Like Ghostbusters 2, for example, yeah. right? Right. It looks like a giant Jell-O mold. I hate Jell-O. Oh, come on. There's always room for Jell-O. Right? It's Bill Murray in <laughs> Ghostbusters yeah. 2. 
Uh, how about Joey from Friends? Okay, you're coming with me. And I also told them that if we're still here when they get off, that we'll go down to the cafeteria and get some jello with them. Yep. There's always room for jello. <laughs> so when Jennifer Lopez first came into popularity when I was working on the radio, I would do this awful joke saying there's always room for J-Lo because it sounds very similar to Jello, And people would moan and groan because it's an awful, punny, kind of the lowest form of comedy, which just made me love it more. The more people hated it, the more I loved it. So then I started taking it upon myself to go into these lengthy shaggy dog setups where invariably... The punchline would be, there's always room for J-Lo. So, for example, yesterday we were talking about the Super Bowl, and I said when Shakira opened the show, yeah. she was taking up so much time, I was afraid maybe there was a limited amount of time, yeah. and we weren't going to get to see Jennifer Lopez on stage. But then it dawned on me, there's always room for J-Lo. <laughs> Yay! So there you go, yeah. David. Now you know the long, elaborate history behind that joke. And everyone knows the best comedy is explained comedy. Exactly. Yes. So. <laughs> I'm with that guy resubscribe just to unsubscribe today again. <laughs> that would make me laugh. He'd be like, "Oh, I feel bad. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, subscribe." The... <laughs> and then he got a big fucking dose of Jello right in his ear. <laughs> Luckily for him, there's always room for Jello. Right? <laughs> well, bye. Well, bye. Uh, this is my new favorite segment. This I love when this happens. And this is the beauty of this show. It's very organic and things kind of pop up and become things that I never intended to become things. Balls. Balls for is one of them. Yes. But also, hold on a second. Get dipping, boys. <laughs> I want to dip my balls in it. That was one. But this new recurring segment of people volunteering how stupid they were as oh, kids. Oh, yes, yes. Dumb kids stories is so entertaining to me. It all started with Eddie Pence because yeah. he thought that uh, Jeff Peanut Butter came out in whole peanuts <laughs> and you would smush it down with a knife and turn it into peanut butter. I lead the way in these movements. <laughs> you do. People have been caught up in just volunteering they're dumb. Uh, Bridget yesterday said she thought when you turned on a record play, it was actually somebody singing. Which <laughs> is magical. So people now are just volunteering, just outing themselves. I guess confession is good for the soul. They feel, you feel better, better. You do when feel they better. unload these uh, these feelings they've had of, of dumbness Absolutely. from their childhood. Now, today's are completely legitimate. I have a hard time even calling these people dumb because these are both situations where they were little kids dealing with a grown-up world, yes, and they they didn't understand the context of the things that they were witnessing. Okay, you know what I'm saying. I this isn't so. just like you're, you're watching television and you're dumb. Right. This is <laughs> not dumb. I was three. <laughs> this is kids who don't understand the larger picture when it comes to the adult world. Okay, like Emily. I felt bad for little Emily in this story. Hi, Ralph. This is Emily calling. I wanted to tell you my dumb kid story. When I was a kid, I remember screaming and crying that my dad was going to go to jail for drinking and driving. We had stopped at McDonald's, and he was sitting at his coke. L.M.B. <laughs> Bye. See, now that's not even dumb, because all she heard her whole life was drinking, drinking and, and driving. driving. It's illegal, and the cops will arrest you if you drink and drive. Right. So he's drinking out of his co coke through the drive-thru, and she assumes he's breaking the law. That, that's perfectly reasonable. She didn't know about no, booze. she had no idea. And they don't, in all fairness, they don't say... Alcohol. They don't driving, specify what drinking is. Just the act of drinking. Right. So, uh, Emily, you get a pass for that. And I think uh, this one's more of a judgment call, but I think Joey also gets a pass, although he was 12 by the time he started Ooh, to realize 12. what was going on mm -hmm. here. 
Uh, I don't know. You be the judge. Hi, Ralph. Uh, Joey from Albany, two-star general. So I have a, I have something for uh, the You're So Dumb segment. When I was a kid, I'd always see uh, ads for pads and tampons, and mm-hmm. they'd always talk about flow and show the absorb absorption right. tests and everything. Mm-hmm. And I would say until I was 12, yeah. I thought that girls were just allowed to pee themselves. <laughs> and I what? was jealous that I wasn't what? allowed to pee myself. So What? Uh, LMB. What? Joey knew that those products were for women and they were always showing how much liquid they absorbed. So he assumed girls could just put those in his, their pants and then just pee. They didn't have to go to the bathroom. They could just let it loose wherever they were. Well, it makes sense because men can kind of pee anywhere. Yeah. With, you know, they could just whip it out and go behind a corner and pee where so women. So you thought that was a, the, that was the, the Joey makeup thought for it? it was that they were providing that opportunity to women. Just if you stuck this in your pants, then you could just unload whenever you had to, whenever your bladder was full. Which I guess, I mean, when you think about those commercials, they always show like it's, you know, they don't show the, the yeah, real use of it. It's blue liquid usually. Yeah, it's yeah, always something coming out of a beaker that's yeah. being poured onto the pad to yeah. show up. You'd vomit if it was red. Right. Yes. But it wasn't yellow either. No, so it wasn't yellow but either. I guess he, he only assumed the only fluid he could imagine coming out of a woman from that part of her body would be urine. I guess at the time, if you didn't have sex education at the time. But he's 12. Yeah. I don't know. That's the only thing that gives me pause. If he was eight, then eight, I yeah, say, twelve. You're kind of you're what middle? You're in early yeah, high school, I, middle school. I, I knew what was what by 12. yeah, twelve. You kind of knew. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Joey. You're so dumb. Yeah. You are really dumb. Yeah. For real. For real. Should have lied about your age. You should have. You should have. Next time you tell that story, say you were eight. <laughs> Everybody will give you a pass. Not a preteen. Thanks to everybody who called in to guard me on the line. You too. <laughs> can be featured on this segment but you know what you got to do you got to call me all righty time to take a look in the rearview mirror and find out what happened on february 4th this day in history Ralph's about to solve another mystery Like it's today the day some dude invented Listerine Or maybe a tyrant king married his sister queen Who knows, every day seems to be an anniversary The Garmy's rubbing Ralph's lamp So grant our wishes, please And tell us what went down this day in history All right, on this day, February 4th, in 1784 The first unmanned balloon flight in Ireland took place so they just sent a balloon up in the air? Yeah. That's kind of... Now that I read it out loud, isn't that's that just... kind of nothing. Isn't that just letting a balloon go? I've done that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so. I think when I was five, I was at the zoo, and I had a balloon in the shape of a rabbit, and I let it go. Isn't that an unmanned balloon flight? <laughs> really, when you think about it? It's Ireland. It was some drunk dude whose job it was to hold the balloon down until someone could get into the basket. And he's like... He let it go. Ah, whatever. I want to get back into the pub before it's all over. And just boom, unmanned balloon flight. <laughs> Stop it. 1824 on this day. You know how I feel about the 1800s, Eddie. Ripe for invention. So many things could be invented in the 1800s because everything was needed. No one had done anything up until the 1800s. When that came, uh, J.W. Goodrich came along and he introduced rubber galoshes to the public. Oh, uh, those were handy. We do without our rubbers. <laughs> 
When you were a kid growing up in the East Coast, did you have to put on I the did. galoshes? I Me had the too. galoshes and I had the yellow raincoat. Yeah. Yep. I had uh, I had galoshes for my shoes and I had the rain and snow boots as well. Yep. But if it was just sort of uh, shitty weather, you could put on your galoshes. Yeah. We had weather there. We did indeed. Not here. 1847, the first U.S. telegraph company was established in Maryland, of all places. Hmm. So you could finally send a telegraph. Although if there was just one telegraph company in Maryland, where were they sending their telegrams? To? I don't I know. I guess back to themselves. I suppose. 1861, the Confederate Constitutional Convention met for the first time, and they elected Jefferson Davis to be the president of the Confederacy. Wonderful. Good times. There's a Jefferson Davis Memorial in Virginia. Stop it. Really? Yeah, Still? It's, it, it's like the Washington Monument, but it's smaller. Well, it's the well same it should be. obelisk. Was it an obelisk or yeah, whatever? Yeah, it's yeah. the same thing, but it's same smaller. Same shape, but just smaller. Same shape, but smaller. Jeff the Davis Monument. I've never it's got still there for some reason. Putting up, uh, putting up uh, monuments to losers. Yeah, it makes no sense. No, it doesn't. But whatever. Speaking of losers, 1865, Robert E. Lee was named General in Chief of the Confederate Forces. Mm. In 1866, listen to this woman. Mary Baker Eddy started her religion on this day in 1866. <laughs> she was the founder of Christian Science. Oh, Eddie no, Pace. not those people. She was the original Christian scientist. Pray it away. It started because she claimed that she cured some serious injuries she had simply by opening a Bible. Jesus. Christian science, boys and girls, is still a thing today. Unfortunately, it is. Unfortunately, it is. It, it makes a, so many people are hurt because of that. What a misnomer that religion is, by the way. There is zero science in Christian science. Here's what they uh, subscribe to, the adherents of Christian science. They have, they have a belief that reality is purely spiritual, and the material world, everything around us, is an illusion. And what's real? Just just God and and the spirit. <sighs> so they believe that disease is a mental error rather than a physical disorder. That the sick should be treated not by medicine, Eddie, but by prayer that seeks to correct the beliefs responsible for the illusion of ill health. Is there some of that in Scientology? There's some of that in Scientology, right? Uh, well... Yes, that Scientology sort of believes system. that the the more you uh, are able to access, the clear your mind, your mind that you can cure illness. Right. But they believe that the physical body exists right. and that the illness is real. These Christian Science Don't doesn't believe, in, doesn't uh, believe the illness is real. Uh, they think it's just in your mind, it's and you can by just changing your attitude towards oh, the, the cancer, the cancer cells, then they'll go they'll away go away because they're, they're not real because this uh, everything is an illusion. It's ludicrous. It is uh, it's it's, ludicrous. It's insane. Uh, and so many people who are Christian scientists don't go to doctors or hospitals when they're sick. Yeah, I understand if you and want to. You know what happens then? Yeah, then? They, they die. Then they die. I understand yeah. if you want to do that yourself and that's what you are. But if you have children, yeah. that's, that's, that's the worst. Yeah. And if you are a Christian scientist and you are listening to this program, d don't bother writing me or emailing <laughs> me or calling with angry whatever. <laughs> We're just going to have to agree to disagree on this one. I, I respect your right to worship as you see fit but don't think you're going to change my opinion on this one. no all right on this day in 1879 john h hines received a patent for an invention he called improvement in vegetable sorting hmm. he invented a machine that was able to sort vegetables by size <laughs> okay. especially pickles he was able to get 
all the pickles of the same size together so that he could put them in jars. Well, okay. That's and a necessary the, the smaller thing? pickles would go into a little jars. Oh, that's good. I'm guessing. Yes. Look, better by doing it by hand. 1800s, I'm telling you. 1913, Lewis Perlman patented the demountable auto tire carrying wheel rim. What is that? I know it's it's a lot of words, but he invented the wheel rim that comes off the car. Okay. Used to be wheels were affixed to the car and you had to take the rubber tire part off of that wheel. Right. Now, now you take the whole thing off and take the tire off. Then take the tire off. Thanks to gotcha. Louis Perlman in thanks, Louis. Uh, 1913. In 1941, the United Service Organization was founded, the USO, and they raised the spirits of many a soldier, yes, sailor, Marine, and Air Forceman during the they Second do good World stuff. War. They do do good stuff. In 1951, U.S. Female Figure Skating Championship was won by Sonia Klopfer. Hmm. This is not really an interesting piece of news, but I just wanted to say the name Sonia Klopfer. <laughs> Klopfer. Klopfer. In 1957, the first electric portable typewriter was on sale in Syracuse, New York. An electric typewriter. People's heads must have exploded. Unreal. How exciting must have been to not have to jam your fingers down on those <laughs> you keys. You just, just barely touch just it. Touch it, and it would. The machine would do all the work for you. Is there another product in American history, hell, world history, that was so crucial and critical? And now it's gone. And now it's completely it's irrelevant. I typed school papers on a typewriter. I did it's too. still in my lifetime. I used a typewriter. And now it could not be more of a dinosaur. Yeah. But at the time, you could not run a business yeah. without many of those. And now you imagine being in the typewriter business. <laughs> Thinking you're set typewriter for repair life. shop. My family will live off of typewriters for <laughs> eternity because there will always be a need yeah. for typewriters. You'd always think that when you're in the in the middle of it. It's like computers. Like, well, there are always going to be computers. Shit happens, man. 1971. Speaking of businesses that go out of business, British car maker Rolls Royce declared itself bankrupt. Hmm. There's simply not enough stupid rich people," <laughs> said. Well, the they're man. back, though. Who bought them? Yeah, I forget who bought them out, the, the brand name, and they still right. make them, obviously, yeah. but uh, Rolls-Royce as a company went under. 1972, Senator Strom Thurmond suggested that John Lennon should be deported hmm. because he kept just making trouble. Yeah, making trouble. Telling all those kids that we shouldn't be in Vietnam and that we, right. should, be, we should have peace instead of war. Strom Thurmond, that guy was a peach. Got to get all, he was really. He was a peach. He was the devil incarnate, <laughs> that guy. Lived forever, too. God, well, sure, because <laughs> when you work with the devil, well, he just, keeps propping you up. It just shows you how much hate keeps you alive. That's true. 90, I'm going to live forever, <laughs> if that's the case. In 1973, <laughs> speaking of hate, the comic strip Hagger the Horrible debuted Ooh. in newspapers. Fucking this thing. Was it funny? No. <laughs> You've seen it. It's I, the big, it's the Viking with the big round oh, nose yeah, and the horns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hagar the Horrible. I didn't know that was the name. Oh, for fuck's sake. It's goddamn awful. <laughs> he, it was created by a guy named Dick Brown. Spelled his name D-I-K, by the way. Yeah. Asshole. Dick Brown. And he. he Dick Brown. Before he dicks you. Don't put it in there then. Ha ha. Well, there you go. You sang that. See, that would be. You added some music I to that I strung some joke. chords to that. It'd be magic. He also had a comic strip called High and Lois about, Ooh, a, about a couple God. named uh, High and Lois, <laughs> hence the name. I get it. In 1974, the chimpanzee Nim Chimpsky <laughs> signed his first word at two and a half months. Uh, this is the saddest story ever. 
Nim Chimsky. There was a, a, a scientific program. They were trying to say if you raised a, a chimpanzee from birth amongst humans yeah. and taught him language skills using American Sign Language, that because chimps and humans share so much DNA, the thought was that they had a predisposition towards using language. Yeah. And so they would just naturally develop into having conversations with people, albeit via sign, sign language. Yeah. But you could raise them to interact with humans with uh, with uh, just language. Wow. And uh, it did not go well. They found out he was miming uh, that he would he would learn the signs. Right. But often they they re- recognized he was doing it in exchange for reward. Well, like he would answer like, "I want this." He'd be able to mimic. Right. Uh, but he couldn't have thoughts and express thoughts. That's and, what they came to believe. Right. So eventually they abandoned the experiment and they just like put him back into a zoo. Oh, that's not good. And he didn't know how to interact no, with all the dude, other chimps. Ugh. And he would like sign stuff to the keepers at the oh, zoo trying to get food. And that's stuff. sad. It just, this is the most horrible oh, story God. you've ever read in your life what they did to this poor monkey. Oh, poor Nim. Is yeah. that his name? Nim. Nim, Nim Chimpsky. Poor Nim. Yeah. That sucks. Sad. Don't do that. Although Coco, she was she signed. She had original thoughts. For some reason, a gorilla seemed to be able to do it, but a chimpanzee didn't. And we're supposed to be closer to a chimpanzee than a gorilla, right? We share ninety eight percent of our uh, genetic makeup with chimps. Interesting. In nineteen seventy seven, Wings released one of their biggest hit singles, Paul McCartney's band after the Beatles, of course. One of my favorite Paul McCartney compositions as well. In 1984, Frank Aguilera set the world frisbee distance record. <laughs> how far? For, how for far? bonus points, Eddie Pence, uh, how far do you think Frank threw a frisbee on this day in 1984? Good Lord. If you're within 50 feet, I'll give you the bonus points. Feet. Yeah. Is it a foot thing or I have to say yards? Do you want me to actually say I would feet? like the answer in feet, please. Feet. How many feet did Frank throw? The frisbee to set the world record for distance 90 feet 550 what the feet. fuck are you how the what was it windy there's no way 550 feet 550 feet yes 168 meters or 550 feet that's insane it's a long way to throw a frisbee that had to be wind would you stop? Had to be wind. This is the 15-inch uh, snowflake all over again. <laughs> That's bullshit, You just too. refuse to believe I certain refuse, things yes. that are facts. That's not a fact. I'm it sorry. There was wind involved and maybe some fishy It was water. in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah. Okay. Took Nothing fishy happens there. It's <laughs> yeah. all on the up and yeah, up the in Las mob, Vegas. The mob was in on this. If there was I'm gambling sure. involved, it's, it's rigged. Oh, dear God. In 1998, on this day, Bill Gates was hit in the face with a cream pie in Brussels. Do you remember that? Yes, he was showing I do up remember that. at a uh, speaking <laughs> event, and Noel Godden was his name. He had, this guy had a hobby of throwing cream pies and and cakes at celebrities' faces, <laughs> and apparently Noel has written a book about his adventures called "I'm a Dick." Apparently, because <laughs> Jesus, what's the point? You're just throwing things. In How is he allowed faces? anywhere near anybody? I guess he isn't anymore. Doesn't security have? A, yeah, security has to have a photo of the dude. In uh, 2004, on this day, Mark Zuckerberg launched Facebook from his Harvard dormitory room. Oh. This was the day that the the genie was let out of the bottle. <laughs> the day democracy died. That's right. It's yeah. when Pandora opened her box. God. How about a cream pie in the face for Mark Zuckerberg? Right. Where are you, Noel, when we need Come you? On, if ever we needed you, we need you now. Get to work, will you? 
On this day in 2013, France overturned a 200-year-old law that banned women from wearing trousers. <laughs> no pants for women in France. God, people are stupid. For 200 years, they finally What's overturned wrong with men? it. I have no idea. And uh, in 2014, on this day, same-sex marriage was legalized in Scotland. Good. Good for them. A little late, but good. Oh, now they can take a look under my kilt, and I can take a look under yours, <laughs> and we can do it legally. So, good for you gay guys in Scotland. I'm all for it. All right. And you know, also, when we take a look at this day in history, I like to take a look at a food-related day in history and run it past Eddie Pence. Then, we'll pull the handle of the patented Eddie Pence jackpot slot machine. This gives you an opportunity to play along at home to see whether Eddie Pence would eat something mm. or not. If three reels come up and those items are on the reels and they're matched, it's a big payout. It means Eddie Pence would indeed eat it. However, if three reels come up mismatched, it means... Another day of disappointment here on the Ralph Report. I think we got a good feeling about this one. Really? I can't imagine anyone saying no to this. Why do you food. say these things? Because it's true. Okay. This one is a slam dunk. If you're trying to make some money and you're listening to someone who's willing to take your wager, I'd bet it all <laughs> on yes today. Because on this day in 1930, candy maker Frank C. Mars of Minnesota introduced the Snickers bar in 1930. The Snickers bar consists of nougat, peanuts, Caramel and a chocolate coating. Named Snickers, by the way, after the favorite horse of the Mars family. Yes, they were stinking rich. Oh, and they, amazing. They had several horses, and their favorite was a beautiful horse named Snickers. So they named the chocolate bar after Snickers, or maybe what Snickers dropped behind them out there in the field when they were just looking for inspiration. <laughs> in the UK and Ireland, interestingly enough, this candy bar was named the Marathon Bar until 1990. Really? Yes. So if you're a UK listener, you may know this better as the Marathon, the Snickers Bar. Here's an old-timey commercial, by the way, for the Snickers Bar, just to teach you how delicious and natural the Snickers Bar is. Yes, everything is for real in bars from Mars. Snickers, for instance, are a delectable blend of the world's finest pure milk chocolate, fluffy whites of whole fresh eggs, plump fresh roasted peanuts, and fresh grade A milk to make a luscious malted milk and caramel treat studded with crunchy peanuts. Yes, for real candy satisfaction, try Snickers. One taste tells you why everything is for real in candy bars from Mars. Why the best candy on Earth comes from Mars. Best candy on Earth comes oh, from Mars. Ingenious. Oh, ingenious. They're good. It makes it sound like it's good for you. I know. All that wholesome, all those wholesome ingredients. It's like a meal. You are better, you're healthier after you eat a Snickers bar than before. <laughs> Doc Garon D. That's for sure. Uh, the Snickers bar. Eddie Pence, eaten or not eaten? Let's pull the handle and let's find out. Here we go. One Snickers, two Snickers, three Snickers, we got Snickers bar. <laughs> Eddie Pence is eating Snickers bar. Come on, that's easy. Right? That's easy. Who's turning down a Snickers bar? That's a slam dunk. That's what I thought. But you know, I got to play them as they lie. You do. You know. I, if I look in the day and that's the food, you I got to go, go with it. it. Yeah. I knew it was for a sure thing, but we don't get many sure things around no. this particular topic. So I was happy to get that. <laughs> By the way, it's funny. It's Snickers bars in the news recently also. Why? Two weeks ago, the Guinness Book of World's Records just named the Snickers bar as the largest... Chocolate candy bar in the world. Two weeks ago, the Mars Company, or whoever makes them now, I think they sold it since, but they made the largest candy bar 
in the world two weeks ago in Waco, Texas. It was on display. Oh, good. For bonus points, Eddie Pence, how many pounds Jesus. was the world's largest Snickers bar that two weeks ago went into the Guinness Book of World Records? 2,000 pounds. I'm sorry. It was 4,700 pounds. Holy crap. Twice as big as I thought. It measured two feet high and 26 inches wide. Oh, my God. It was the size of 43,000 single Snickers bars put together. Wow. And imagine how disappointed they were when this weekend in Hershey, Pennsylvania, Hershey's one-upped them and made a bigger candy bar. Are you serious? What a dick move. They had the record for two weeks. Oh, they knew it, too. And then Hershey came. Oh, absolutely. It was like, fuck you, Mars. (laughs) They came up with an even bigger candy bar. It was a version of the Reese's Take 5 candy bar. Really? Nine feet long. Ooh. 5.5 feet wide. Two feet high. Clocking in at 5,943 pounds. Man, they didn't just beat him. They beat the fuck out of him. Crushed. Wow. So now the Hershey's uh, Take 5 candy bar is actually... The biggest candy bar. Take five. It's a good candy bar. It's, if you're damn yeah, it's a really candy good candy bar. bar. They had in a Super Bowl ad. Yeah. See that with the guy with his head up his ass? Yes. Yeah. It was pretty spectacular. <laughs> it's most of America at this it, point. Yes, it is. And not just about candy bars. Nope. And that is This Day in History. I pity the fool who ain't been schooled by Ralph recently. He's dropping college-level knowledge with such accuracy. It got my head spinning faster than a drunk Eddie. And I'm rocking the back and track with a rap like a bad celebrity. I hope Cooperman loves my beats, because that rhymes with LMB. And that's a wrap for the Ralph Report today in history. 15 cents a day, y'all. Hey there, it's Ralph Garman here. I hope you're enjoying the show. And if you are... Why not subscribe to The Ralph Report so you can hear it every day, Monday through Friday? For just 15 cents a day, you can be a one-star general supporter, and that will get you the show in your ear holes Monday through Friday. Of course, there are two, three, and four-star general levels as well, which gets you more bonus content and more access to me. So if you like what you're hearing, why not subscribe? Go to patreon.com slash The Ralph Report. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash The Ralph Report. Subscribe today so you don't miss a thing. All righty, now it's time to take a look at all the entertainment news in a segment I call the Showbiz Beat. Well, this is good news for some people, certainly for Lin-Manuel Miranda. The news broke yesterday, uh, actually he announced it, that Disney is going to release a filmed version of his Broadway musical Hamilton. Really? Yes. Now, here's the thing. It's not a movie version of Hamilton. It is a filmed version of him on stage in Hamilton that was filmed at the Richard Rogers Theater back in June of 2016 while he was still in the cast. Really? So two weeks before the original cast left the show, they brought in a very intricate system of cameras and they filmed the show and they're going to release it as a feature film. It's been in the can for like four years? Yes. Huh. I don't know why they held on to it. Yeah, so that's long. weird. I don't either. But uh, here's the thing nobody is really talking about, which to me is the real news. How much do you think Disney paid for the worldwide rights to show that filmed performance of Hamilton? Now, it was the biggest, most successful Broadway musical yeah. in recent history, right? And it was like 500 bucks a ticket to yeah. go see it when it was on Broadway. Did you ever see it? I never did. Yeah. It was here. It was in L.A. for a it minute. Was the but it was still room. pretty goddamn yeah. expensive. It's crazy. So this is good because you'll be able to see it, and you'll see the original guy in it, and you can see it in the comfort of a movie theater. So Disney thinks there's a big audience for this. What do you think they, pay. they paid for this this feature film version of Hamilton? Wow, it's got to be huge. It's got to be like 
$500 million? It's uh, No, it's not that much. It's $75 million. Oh, that would be bigger than that. But still, I mean, the, it was already in the can. They're just buying the product. They, this, this is not a production cost or anything. It's so just, Disney didn't go and originally film it. No, no, they no. Just, this was filmed. They filmed it and they and sold they, it to they them. Bought the, they bought oh, the rights, okay. which is almost record-setting for an independent little project yeah. that, that's just basically shooting people that's on huge. stage. Yeah, but they figure they're going to get their money back because what will happen is they'll be able to tout that on Disney Plus as well. That's Once true. it's had a run in theaters, it will live forever in the Disney catalog, and then people can always go. No one can see that thing live. It's impossible. On the stage. I mean, because you can afford to go. Oh, right. Yeah. And, you'll, like, and you won't see Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, you could never either. see that. He's I mean, no longer in the Such cast, a small so. percentage of the population saw that. Pretty smart. Pretty smart move. Uh, numbers are in for the Super Bowl. They came out yesterday in terms of ratings. 102 million viewers watched the Super Bowl on Sunday, which is up significantly from 2019's Super Bowl. It makes it the 10th most watched Super Bowl in history. And uh, last year was the first time it dipped below 100 million viewers, but they're back up again, so everyone's very I think happy. last year people had Patriots fatigue. It's just, possible. I think it was just like, oh, not again. Yeah. And it wasn't a very sexy pairing. No. Because uh, the L.A. team doesn't have the kind of long-standing fan base that uh, a lot of other like teams... Like the Chiefs. Chiefs have a huge do. fan base. Exactly. You could hear it in the crowd, yeah. by the way, Chiefs when that game was going on. Chiefs have a huge fan base. And the Niners are uh, one of the top, you know, historical dynasties in the league. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Super Bowl, and we were mentioning Bill Murray's Groundhog Day Super Bowl ad. Great article came out yesterday about how they were how they managed to make that commercial. And I brought this up at the time. Like, how do you get Bill Murray on board yeah. to do that commercial? Especially if you know anything about him, he doesn't have a manager. Oh, you just got to leave a voicemail, right? He doesn't have an agent. Yeah. He has an 800 number yeah. where you leave a message. <laughs> and if he's interested, he may or may not get back to That's you. so crazy. And I know this firsthand because my buddies, uh, Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese, who wrote Zombieland, yeah. were in on the process when they were trying to get him on board to do that cameo in that film. And they said, That's literally what you have to do. You kind of put crazy. it out there in the world and hope that he responds. That's crazy. So the guy that was in charge for marketing for Jeep just floated it out there. He said he doesn't have a phone, he doesn't have an agent, doesn't have an email, he said. He has an 800 number. He said, but luckily, they had friends in common, apparently, and he said they have phone numbers, so I called them and tried to encourage them to at least get Bill to listen to the message. Right. And sure enough, he got back to him and said, yeah, all right, he was on board. So they shot in the original town where they shot Groundhog Day, Woodstock, Illinois. You could tell it yeah. looks exactly the same. Here's the thing. Uh, it was hard to nail Murray down, so they didn't finish shooting the ad until January 26th. Really? It's a week before the Super Bowl. That's nuts, man. Can you imagine crazy. the panic that must have set in? No. They'd have everybody just waiting in place. Must have. To go as soon as it was done. They just bought the time, too, for the wow. Super Bowl. And that's ad. a huge chunk of money. Right. And they couldn't, they, they were so late to the game that they couldn't even guarantee them when it was going to air. Wow. It was like a floating spot. They call, we just pay a certain number of money and they'll, they say, it'll be in the Super Bowl, but we can't tell you when. That's nuts. And then it all came together and it is absolutely one of the most talked about commercials. From oh, it's a great Bowl. commercial. Great commercial. And the first time Murray's ever done a TV commercial, by the way. Is it? Which is interesting. Wow. So. His life, man. Just be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. <laughs> Ultimate freedom. <laughs> I mean, God. And you're Bill Murray. Yeah. And uh, lastly, speaking of money, did you see this? For the first time ever yesterday, Google shared how much money they make with YouTube. No. Yeah. Google bought YouTube in 2006 mm -hmm. for $1.65 billion. Jesus. Now, Google has very has kept the uh, the numbers for how much they generate with their advertising on YouTube very closely guarded, and they haven't announced it until this year. 
And they came out yesterday and said how much YouTube's ad revenue makes. For bonus points, Eddie Pence. I'm not doing good today. How much money <laughs> is Google making just from ads? This isn't the subscription to YouTube TV or any of that stuff. Right. This is just the ads generated from watching videos on YouTube. How much money does that make for Google? $10 billion a year. Very close. I'll give it to you. $15 billion. Wow. I knew it had to be up there. In, they paid a billion for it in 2006. In ad revenue, money making Jeez, for Google. Man. Yeah. That's just on that. That's just on that. Yeah, not to mention everything else that Google owns. Right? Jesus. Uh, Alphabet, by the way, which is Google's parent company, they have recently joined Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft as the only companies to cross the $1 trillion valuation threshold. So they are worth $1 trillion. Wow. They run the world. So much money out there. None of it for us. Nope. All right, let's take a look at today's celebrity birthdays. All these stars born on February 4th. Rob Corddry is 49 years old today. I love he's, Rob. He's brilliant. So funny, so talented, and just a nicer guy you'd be hard to run across. Good man. Uh, Gavin DeGraw, singer and songwriter, is 43 years old today. I don't want to be anything other than what I've been trying to be lately. All I can do is sing with me and I'll be so Musician John Steele from the legendary 60s band The Animals celebrates his 79th birthday today. We gotta get out of this place If it's the last thing we ever do We gotta get out of this place Girl, there's a better life for me and you Alice Cooper, legendary rock singer, celebrates his 72nd birthday. Alice Cooper used to be a hellraiser and a drinker and a fighter, and now he just golfs. Yep. He lives in Arizona and golfs. <laughs> Something about rock guys getting old. I guess it's, there's only two ways you can go. Either you calm down yeah. or you die. Yeah. Right? So I guess calming down is the, better. And the fantasy is they all just burn out quick and go away. That's You yeah. don't want to see them fade away slowly. Yeah, exactly. But now he's just out there on the golf course. Although he still performs, here's little Alice Cooper. <laughs> Actor Michael Beck is 71 today. He was the star of Warriors. Remember the Warriors? Yeah. About the street gang? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And more importantly, star of one of the greatest worst films ever made. He plays Sonny opposite Olivia Newton-John in the classic Xanadu. Make his dream, Eddie, of building a roller disco art gallery. He can't make those dreams come true until his muse, Olivia Newton-John, descends from Mount Olympus. Yeah, such a good movie. So good. So many lessons to be learned right. in there as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Uh, from bad movies to bad television, actor John Shuck is 80 years old today. He starred as Yo-Yo in the legendary show Holmes and Yo-Yo about a robot cop and his partner. I don't remember that show. You need to go find Holmes that. Holmes and Yo-Yo. Give, give YouTube some more money. Okay, go well. on YouTube and look up <laughs> Holmes and Yo-Yo. When did it air? Uh, I think it was in the late 70s, early okay. 80s. 
It only lasted barely a season, but it became known as like one of the benchmarks of bad television. Yeah, it was like one of those bad robot shows before they really had any sort of special effects technology where he had like a flap under his uh, his dress shirt where all their inner, oh, so he looks human. Oh yeah, he's and then like he an pulled up his shirt and it was. And it's like I am, but but wait, I and it was like one of those. Bad was he yo yo? He was yo-yo. or Holmes? Uh, he was yo yo. Okay, yeah, he was yo yo. <laughs> <laughs> Rock musician Rick Birch of Jimmy Eat World turns 45 years old today. It just takes some time, Singer Natalie Imbruglia is 45 and a woman that Steve Ashton almost had sex with. Really? Never oh, that's forget. right. That's right. That was his Uso close yeah. moment. He, that's right. He turned down a chance to have sex with Natalie Imbruglia. Oh, boy. I'm going to have to what? slap him all over oh. again next time I see him for that. Nothing's fine, I'm torn. I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. I'm cold and I am shamed. Lying naked on the floor. She's lying naked She's on the floor. Basically saying, She's take right me there. now. And She's not torn from Steve Ashton. Nope. That much I what know. What the fuck, Steve? Yeah. We gotta make him tell Unreal. that story again. And rock musician Noodles from the offspring. And I'm happy to say, uh, and I'm very proud to say, Garmy member, Noodles from Offspring. Really? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. He's a good man. I love Offspring. He's always been a huge supporter of mine, and I really appreciate it. He is celebrating his 57th birthday today. to come to a live show yeah that'd be awesome get him out to a live show he is a blast and such a good guy and uh i should get him on the show to to uh, sit in for yeah. an interview so much to talk about he's such a smart guy too so uh, happy birthday noodles that's it for today's celebrity birthdays i'm ralph garman i walk the showbiz beat and because it's tuesday we'd like to take a look at one of your favorite tv theme songs of all time we celebrate it we do a deep dive and we talk about it on tv tunes tuesday here we go, you know what day it is. It's TV Tunes Tuesday. On today's Ralph Report. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, you do. <laughs> today's TV show that we're going to be talking about in 2016 was ranked as the number seven on the list of all-time greatest TV shows, according to Rolling Stone magazine. Okay. The Writer's Guild of America ranked it as the third best written TV show ever. TV Guide ranked it as the fourth greatest drama, the second greatest sci-fi show, and the fifth greatest show of all time. We're talking about a television classic here. It was the late 1950s, and there was a young screenwriter who was getting quite a name for himself in television. He had produced and written several successful TV plays, including one called Patterns and another one called Requiem for a Heavyweight. And so it made him very much in demand, and he wanted to write more serious drama that dealt with the particular issues of the day, racism, sexism, paranoia, the Cold War. But he was finding a lot of resistance in tackling those subjects, and he recognized that if he put all of those thoughts into a science fiction setting, 
with robots and aliens and other supernatural occurrences, he could get more latitude and freedom in writing about those things than he could if he did it in a more realistic, time-appropriate It's funny setting. how people don't want it in their face, but you can trick them into it. Yeah, if you bury it, they can you, deal with it. If you put the medicine in a spoonful yep, of sugar, exactly. people can hear that kind of thing. Of course, he was right, and so he came up with an idea for a, an anthology series. Every week would be a different story with a different cast, and he put it together. By now, you may have guessed what the show is. Uh, here is the call requesting a look at the Twilight Zone. I unlock this podcast with a code from Patreon. Beyond it is a host, a host with sass, a host with inelegance, a host with a jackass. I'm moving into a penitentiary of both insanity and stupidity, a pure real and juvenile. I've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone is my suggestion for the next TV Tunes Tuesday. <laughs> Thanks, Ralph. How good was that? That was brilliant. Right? Brilliant. I wish he had identified himself because yeah. that was a pretty damn good Ron yeah. Serling impression. He needs some props, whoever that was. And he wrote it up and everything. So uh, let us know who you are, sir, because that was an excellent request. Yes, The Twilight Zone, a, a classic on television. It, you know, it's so popular, they're still remaking it and rebooting yeah. it. Every chance they get, they bring it back again. The original series ran for five seasons on CBS from 1959 to 1964. Interestingly enough, the, the, the theme song that we all know and love and equate with not only the Twilight Zone, but anytime anyone is creeped out by anything, yeah. someone will go, do, 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 yep. do, 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 <laughs> That wasn't the original theme song for that show. Really? Get out. The entire first season had a different theme song that was written by legendary composer Bernard Herrmann. And it was kind of spooky enough, but it certainly wasn't as memorable as what took took its place in season two. Here's the first theme song for The Twilight Zone. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Fine. It's creepy, but it doesn't, have the, it doesn't have the hook. No, it doesn't. No. In the second season, CBS reached out to a French avant-garde composer named Maurice Constant. And they commissioned him just to come up with a series of little short cues, little weird pieces of music that they could use for the like different episodes of The Twilight yeah, yeah. Zone. They thought they could drop him in, and it was creepy sounding and weird and otherworldly. And they said, we can probably use this stuff. So they had him just record a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Then they took two of them, and they stitched them together. And that's what became the new opening theme song for The Twilight Zone. Two pieces of music, one called Strange Number 3 and Middle Number 2, were edited together to give us this legendary theme song. Yeah. 
so powerful. But when you say it, when you say it was a bunch of different things set together, now you can hear it. Yeah. Where it is a bunch of separate little things. It sounds like they string together. They put together and, Interesting. and we all accept it as one piece. So that's it. The Twilight Zone. Thanks so much for suggesting it. It is today's TV Tune on TV Tune Tuesday. Here we go. You know what day it is. It's TV Tunes Tuesday. On today's Ralph Report. Oh, I like that one. And before we say goodbye, we still got time to talk to my pal Lisa Arch. As I mentioned, she is on this season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. If you're watching it, if you saw it on Sunday, she had a great episode where she worked with Larry David and Richard Kind. <laughs> you can uh, see that on HBO Go, by the way. If you missed it, you can stream it on there. Lisa also, by the way, is a very talented actress. She's done a bunch of other things. But in this conversation, we talk about her work on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Here's my conversation with Lisa Arch. Well, this is a pleasure. One of my oldest, dearest friends. Not that she's old, but we've been friends for a long time, which makes her an old friend. Uh, Lisa Arch is here. I almost said Cushel. I can't yeah, help myself. I get it. Uh, Lisa is a, a ridiculously talented, funny lady, and you've seen her in a bunch of stuff, and we're going to talk about all of it. But most recently, this past weekend, if you were smart, if you did what I did, which was after the Super Bowl, instead of watching that god-awful fucking uh, masked singer show Ugh. on Fox... You went over to HBO and you watched Curb Your Enthusiasm, and there she was in all her glory. Lisa, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad and honored that you asked me. Lisa and I have known each other for, it's got to be 25 years? I think even a little more than that, like closer to 28. Lisa was four when I first started working <laughs> with her. She was the only toddler in the sketch and improv comedy troupe, the Acme Comedy Theater. I was very ahead of my time. You really were. You were a talented little kid. Aww. And um, yeah, we've known each other forever and we've worked together and we've stayed in touch over the years. And now, lo and behold, when I moved into my new house, I found out that Lisa lived literally down the street. I walked here and it took me three minutes. It was so fun to have somebody in the neighborhood that I knew and loved. And she's married to a, a very talented uh, producer director named Russell. And he's also a great guy. So now we're neighbors. We're neighbors, but we still haven't had a beer together. So that has to happen. I know. Well, I don't drink beer. No. You, but you drink tequila, don't you? Yes. Yeah. So we have to have a tequila together. Um, I'm up for that. Uh, let's talk about Curb Your Enthusiasm. This was your second appearance this season was on Sunday. Yes. And you still have another one coming up? Yes. Now, uh, for those of you who know the show, Lisa plays Cassie, who is the wife of Cousin Andy, played <laughs> by the remarkable Richard Kind. He's awesome. And as I was watching you on Sunday, I was thinking, God damn her right to hell. She's standing there <laughs> crushing it with Richard Kind and Larry David in a scene that was just so very funny. Thank you. Now, it's not your first time on the show. You were back in season seven. You, you yes, originated this character, ten right? years ago. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. It's so bizarre because they called, you know, out of the blue and said, because, you know, they took six years off. Right. He so works whenever he wants. Whenever right? he feels like it. And HBO's like, as yep. long as you make them, we'll put them yep. on, the, on the air. Yeah. That's the deal he has. Yeah. And I, I just have to say, um, because this is something that I don't think most people would know, the whole crew has been working together for that long. And, you know, being in this business, we're all you know, catches you can. It's sure, it's yeah. whatever comes. And so a lot of these people put off 
doing other work until they know if Curb is coming back or they'll take a job. But it's like, you know, they're biting their fingernails going, oh, my God, if Curb comes back, I don't know what I'm going to do because they all love working on it so much. So they would rather wait and miss out on work than not be able to come back and do this. Yes. And I'm sure most of them, you know, take other work. Yeah. But but almost I'd say probably 98 percent of them come back every time. As you mentioned, he took six years off. Yeah. But the intention was always to do more, but he just wasn't ready. I guess. I was honestly thinking today, what is Larry doing right now? Like, why isn't he already deciding to do season 11? I know he loves to golf. Mm. That's all I know about him. Yeah. We're not friends. <laughs> but um, I'm is, like, is he just going, no, I'd rather golf six times a week than shoot the show. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes it's hard for him to get out of the house because of all the piles of money that, that are around. <laughs> that are blocking the door. He can't find the exit, I think, just because there's simply so much cash <laughs> stacked from ceiling yep. to floor. Yeah. Or floor to ceiling, I guess you would stack. Yes. And right. uh, he's just so, so very, very rich. Yeah, he's so rich. He doesn't seem like it. No, he doesn't dress like it or cut his hair like it, that's for sure. <laughs> I'll tell you though, Ralph, you're going to be surprised when I say this. He's an attractive man. Oh, sweet I Jesus. I know. I'm telling you, in person, there's something about him. Maybe it's because he covers himself <laughs> in money yeah, well, in between takes. That was on the show this season. They talked about being single and uh, Jeff Garland, the, the magical Jeff Garland who plays his manager on the show, was like, you're rich. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You'll find a girl. You're rich. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm right. bald, I'm fit, I'm <laughs> old, and I'm bald. It doesn't matter. You're rich. And that is sad but true. Yeah. yeah. But he is, I'm telling you, there's something about him. It's probably honestly because he's so funny well, and sure. so prolific yeah. and smart. He just, he's attractive. How much, given your experience with him, yeah. does the character of Larry David cross over to the real Larry David? So watching him between takes... I feel as though Larry David on the show is a very heightened version right. of real Larry David because Larry just seems so chill, you know, especially the episode, the artificial fruit episode. Right. He's really silly. Yes. I don't, I don't, again, I don't know the man outside of being on set with him. He seems to not be that person on any level. Well, here's what struck me. I watched Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, yeah. the Jerry Seinfeld series, with the episode that Larry did with Jerry. Yes. And they're talking about food. And Jerry's like, so you'll have a couple pieces of pizza, right? And he's like, no, never. Just one piece of pizza. That No, never two. And I was like, this is like an episode of Curb. He's got that weird idiosyncratic oddness yes. about him that, again, as you say, he sort of blows out of proportion for the show. Right. But all of that is like totally real. You can tell just by the catering on the show, which is the best catering I've ever had ever anywhere. Yeah. He eats super clean, mm -hmm. no crap. There's gluten-free and vegan stuff everywhere, which for me is amazing. Right. Um, so yeah, he's meticulous about, you know, that kind of stuff. And even the plates of food that he has in front of him when we're doing eating scenes. Right. It's just like cucumbers and tomatoes and some lettuce because he. I don't think he wants to eat more than that. What's he worried about? Just eat. You know, that's a whole other yeah, rabbit hole we could go down. Look, who am I to, to, to judge him? He, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> it's working for him. He's what? He's 76, I think. No way. Yeah, I think he's 76. Oh, God, I hope I'm not wrong about that. But do you know that he and Richard Lewis met at 
summer camp when they were kids. Wow. That's how long they've been friends. My head exploded when I heard that. He seems like, you talked about the loyalty of the crew and the people around him on that show. He seems equally loyal to the people that he works I with. I think he just wants to hang out with people that make him laugh. I really do. He yeah. just wants to be around people like J.B. Smoove. You can tell that he is delighted by him. Yes. And he just wants to be near him. And same with, you know, he and Jeff Garland have this back and forth where you can see they're just both firing on all cylinders when they're talking to each other. My favorite moments on the show, and because if you know the show at all, you know it is an improvised sitcom. Uh, and we'll talk about the process in a little bit because I'm fascinated by yeah. that. But my favorite moments in the show are when Larry is genuinely laughing at something that someone does. It's usually Richard Lewis when they're having a conversation over a meal or something. Lewis will drop something on him <laughs> and it will be a genuine laughter from Larry David. It's yes. Like, you cannot replicate that in a scripted series. Absolutely. That's the fun of that. Yes. That, and, and that is exactly how it feels on set. Okay. Well, let's talk about what it's like on set. First of all, let's talk about the audition process. Because as I mentioned, you got this role 10 years ago, yep. which is insane. But when you go into audition for Curb Your Enthusiasm, how is that unlike any other audition when you go in for something? In every way. Because okay. as you know, most auditions, you're given sides, which is a scene from a show or a movie. Right. You memorize it as best you can. You go in with your choices. They direct you or they don't, and you leave. Right. Okay. This is, you got nothing. You go in. And when you're sitting in the waiting room, the casting director comes out with a little slip of paper mm -hmm. that has a scenario on it. And that's it. See, that would be a dream for me. It was for me, too. Because half of the, the, the struggle I have with auditions specifically is trying to remember the goddamn words. Yep. And once you take that off the table, then it's playtime. <laughs> that's do anything exactly you want. right. Exactly. And look, the experience that we had together at Acme, you know, doing sketch comedy and improv, I, I like I had felt like I had been preparing for that my whole life. Right. So I had no idea going in what was what it was going to be. I didn't know who was going to be in the room. And she hands me this slip of paper and I was the first one in, which sometimes isn't the best. Mm -mm. But if you nail it, I think it can be the right, best. Right, because everyone's being compared to you. Exactly. So I walked in and there's freaking Larry David and I'm going to do the scene with him. Do you remember the scenario on the slip of paper? Um, yes. So it said, Larry has offered to pay for your baby's college tuition. Mm -hmm. And now you are asking him to put you through, um, I don't know, some sort of trade school. And when we did it, it was cosmetology school. So whatever. Gotcha. Uh, and he says, no, that's it. Wow. How fun. And but so, how intimidating because then there's Larry David there and now you got to do it with it's him. It's crazy. There's Larry, there's Jeff at the table and all the other producers and writers. I think Carol Liefer was in there. It was it was crazy. But the fact that I was fucking standing across from Larry David was the most crazy. Sure, me. I just, it was you so. Like you stepped into television, right? Yeah. 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 And by the way, that was the first time I found him attractive. I was uh. like, oh, oh. He's actually, this old, bald Jewish man is actually fairly attractive. Now I know how you got the job. Yes. That, that's the vibe you were giving right. off. Right. Exactly. So then, so we did it and I, and he, I said, hey, Larry, you know, I really appreciate your offer to put um, our daughter through school, but I would really also like to go back to school. And he said, no. And I said, 
It's so weird to me that you would put a baby that you don't even know what she's going to turn out to be. She could be a drug addict. She could be a total asshole. She might not even be smart enough for school. And But you know me and you won't send me. Anyway, that's where I went with it. And I got a, oops, sorry. I got a huge laugh and, um, and yeah. Oh, so I walked out of the room and I called my husband and said, I do not care what happens. I don't care if I get it. That was one of the best moments of my life. I can imagine. Yeah. How yeah. soon after did you find out? Really soon, like a, like 48 hours later. And then how soon after that were you shooting? Do you remember? Oh, I think within the next week or two. Yeah, because they moved pretty quick. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so we shot it and, and being on set, look, well, you've had a lot more fun in this industry than I have. I oh, think. Stop no, genuinely like you've done, well, whatever, like you've done a lot of super cool things. I would say looking at my career, although I'm very grateful for all the jobs I get, yes. not all of them are creatively what I would have hoped they would be. Fair enough. Okay. This was literally everything I had ever wanted to do in the business. Oh, Just it, it was the most fulfilling, incredible thing. And then again, 10 years later, felt exactly the same way. So Almost you, even better. So you just did the one episode in season yep. seven, right? And now you're back for three this year? Yes. When you shoot, when you're on the set, because it's improvised, do they, do you just go and go and go and then they sort of hone it in the editing they trim it down and build a scene out of what you've kind of created on the spot yes that's pretty much it i mean it's it is completely improvised it's the same thing you're given the scenario and there are beats you have to hit story points story they need points. to cover right exactly yeah. but otherwise it's all improvised now you know that once you shoot a scene, you got to shoot it from other angles. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're pretty good with that, though, because they're getting most angles while it's happening. But if oh, they, they have, have multiple cameras yep, set up, yeah, that's smart. But if you have to do a pickup or something, you are going to repeat a line that you originally improvised. So, um, you know, it's always, I think, the best energy the first time it happens. Sure, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's exactly it. It's improvised and, you know, it does go on and on. That first scene last night, for the kitchen scene. Right. With, um, the, with the garbage can. Exactly. Yeah. That went on much longer and had to be trimmed way back. Uh, if you saw Sunday's episode... There are two memorable moments featuring my pal Lisa. The first one she mentioned in the kitchen, it's a long running. That's the brilliance of this show is you can't believe it's not written because the way they weave the storylines together and and they keep referencing stuff that comes back and pays off later in the show. It's kind of remarkable. Well, but that's what's so cool about about the story pointing of it is they know the story. Right. You, they know where they need to get. And they know they need to reference garbage cans about four times exactly. throughout, the, throughout the show. Exactly. Because it's going to be a payoff. But everything around that is made up on the spot. Oh, so much fun. Uh, there was the scene with the kitchen with the garbage. And then uh, Lisa's character, Cassie, is very involved in an organization for survivors of sexual assault. And Larry... If you've been following the season, know he's had some problems with his oh assistant God. in that department. So he's got to show up at this fundraiser and he's going to give a speech. He's got to make a big donation. And she is also asked of him to do a doodle <laughs> for their auction, their celebrity doodle auction. And Larry gives her a doodle that's not quite up to snuff with the other ones that have been tuned in, turned in rather. Here's a clip from Sunday Night's Curb Your Enthusiasm of uh 
Cassie confronting Larry about the quality of his doodle. Okay, anyway, can we talk about something important? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'd like to talk to you about this. Okay, what about it? This is the doodle you give me for charity? Yeah. It's terrible, Larry. We can't use this. You said it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's a doodle. No, this is a doodle. This is Christine Lottie. That's a doodle? That's a doodle. Okay. This is beautiful. That is not a doodle. That is a work of art, okay? You know what? This is gonna get so much so money. So much money. This, this what? Is a nickel? Honest I'll give you two pence. You're holding it the right way. You hold it like this, okay? Oh, oh, that's so much better. Let's get it framed. Yeah, you know, it could be anything. It could be a roller coaster. It could be a shoe. It could be a large intestine. You got to think a little oh, bit. Oh, I'm thinking, you know what it is? It's what you find in a large intestine. That's what that is. Oh, my God. It's a piece of shit. Okay, yeah. It is. Whoa. That killed me. Uh, that killed me. I made Larry laugh, which but made me so happy. The fact that you improvised that <laughs> is genius. Thank you. I mean, I feel like he kind of set me up for it, but I don't yeah. think he knew he was setting me up but for it. But a lot it. of people could be set up all day with that and not... not <laughs> Knocking out of the park the way you did. Thank I you. wanted to play that because it made me laugh so hard when you did that. Um, and you're also working with Richard Kind, who is just one of those faces we've known forever, who's been funny in everything he's ever done. Yes. And he plays your husband, which is a little beyond the stretch of imagination to me because he's about 90. It's and- odd. It's odd. <laughs> he I married mean- very well, I think. Andy, Thank you. Andy Thank married you. very well. But you're working with him too, and what a what a joy, right? It's so wild because there really are moments where I'll like look at like I'm having a fucking conversation with Richard Kind, and he's so cool. And like, oh my gosh, this is a little inside information. Um, <laughs> he, you know, has is, is a theater guy. Yes. I mean, Chicago real, theater guy, right? Uh, Chicago, New York, yeah. yeah. Um, and. So he has been in every show ever written by anyone and every musical. Larry is seemingly, I gathered from being on set with the two of them, obsessed with musicals. Hmm. So he would be like, hey, have you ever played Tevye? And and he's like, yep. And then he'll sing a song from it. Have you ever played this? I mean, they were, you know, referencing things I am not super familiar with. Right. But Larry was obsessed with every part that Richard has ever played. And that was so much fun to watch. Oh, that great. banter was hilarious. Well, Larry referenced it in the show. He did the, the producers, of course, seasons ago. Yes, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, of course, the thing with Lin Manuel uh, Miranda with the, the Hamilton yes. uh, last season. So right. it doesn't surprise me that he's a bit of a theater nerd. That's right. Oh, that's a good point. And the Fatwa thing. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. That's right. Yeah, huge, huge theater nerd, I guess. So um, now I don't want to tell tales out of school. But I have it on good authority. <laughs> your husband, who's Uh-oh. been bragging about your performance this okay. season on the show. But you were only scheduled to do two episodes, right? <laughs> yeah. And then they were so in love with what you were doing on the set, they brought you back and wrote you into another. I part. would love to think that's the reason. I, I, you know, I don't know exactly if that's the reason, but I, I will say it, it did seem... When we were leaving uh, at the end of our second day, I was hugging uh, Larry and the producers goodbye. And Larry kind of went, "She, she's not done. She's not done. Uh. And then the director was like, yeah, we'll see if we can get them in another episode. So that kind of happened on my way out. See, So that was nice. That's never a bad thing to have happen. No, it's not. Well, no. it's to your credit. When you deliver and people can count on you and you slay it, then they're like, well, why not take advantage if she's willing to come back? Let's, um, that's let's, very nice. Let's. I would I would literally do that show 
of course for right? free yes which basically i did well. uh but <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying they don't write giant checks to guest stars and uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm? HBO, not so much with the guest star payments. That's funny. Yeah, but it's okay. If it was on Netflix, then you'd be making the big cash. I'd be so rich I would have taken a segue here instead of walking. (laughs) So what episode is uh, upcoming? It's not next week, but... It is the eighth episode of the season. How many episodes this season? Ten. Ten, okay. Yep. So we got uh, a couple of weeks away from yes. the next appearance. Yeah, and I think I can say because I think it was in the preview for the season, but John Hamm uh, is in that episode, and I'm in a little dinner party scene uh, with him. Now you're killing me because I'm a huge John Hamm. Fan. Are you? Yes. Well, yeah. I don't know how you could not be. Yes, uh, he's got a big penis, you know. Does he? That's what they say. That's oh, the word on the street. That's fantastic it's not for him. The only reason I love him right. <laughs> certainly has to be on the list. I mean, I it's think. not surprising. He no. seems like a guy with a big penis. Absolutely, he does. Um, yeah. and he was uh really cool and apparently like brilliant. He was sitting on set doing the New York Times crossword puzzle. Always one of those. In pen. Son of a bitch. I know. That's too much for any man to have. Yeah. <laughs> a giant penis and to be able to do <laughs> the New York Times crossword puzzle in pen. Ooh, penis and pen. Right. That's the name of his autobiography. It is indeed. Uh, if you missed Sunday's episode, you can see it on HBO Go, which is their streaming service. If you have, if you're a subscriber to HBO, you can see it online or on your phone or any number of places. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Ralph. I love you. I love you too. Lisa and I also talked about a bunch of other stuff, including her work on Mad TV, her hosting uh, Dinner and a Movie. If you'd like to hear the entire interview, I will be releasing that as bonus audio content later on this week for all you two, three, and four-star generals. Nice. All right, come on back tomorrow. we got a good show lined up for you again. We've got, of course, all the entertainment news, more of your phone calls as always. And because it's Wednesday, we... uh, on Wednesday, oh, one hit wonder. Um, no, that's not. No, it's not one hit wonder. No. Oh, that's you sure? right. You got it right. <laughs> it is one hit wonder Wednesday, <laughs> but we take a look at a smash hit theme song, and the poor artist was never able to recapture that glory again. Thanks so much for spending your day with us, or an hour of something. Of it anyway, an Close. hour of the day. We love having you with us, and we're going to see you tomorrow. Right? Love you. Mean it. Bye. <laughs>